0: Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Well, I hope that you guys are ready to just enjoy the presence of God and hear some awesome preaching. Um, If so, I think there's a church that's having service at 1130. Uh, You can try that. Um, Anyway, we're in Genesis chapter 27 and 28 today, and we're continuing our series through the Bible. And just so you know, it's a really long series, approximately 36 months long, all right, this journey through the Bible. But what we're discovering as we go through God's word together is that the entire Bible is relevant. The entire Bible points to Jesus, and the entire Bible applies to our lives today. All right, And this story is no different. As we get into Jacob's life and then soon into Joseph's and we kind of learn more about the patriarchs, we learn more about the journey through the desert, we learn more about Egypt, we learn more about just this Old Testament truth of deliverance that is coming to God's people. Um, but before we get into the heavy word, I, wanna, I was thinking this week about things I would chain, exchange my birthright for right? And it would not be lentil stew, stew, okay? Even though that's the gift that keeps on giving, I would not, lentil stew would not be the number one thing. I do have some pictures, though, for your benefit of things I would maybe be willing. Uh, And this week, as I was finding these pictures, I want to tell you, I'm not kidding, my mouth was watering, all right? The first thing, put it up there, John. Oh, Texas open pit barbecue. What? In Texas, we roast cows, not pigs, East Coasters, okay? And so here, you've got nice Texas open pit barbecue, not one pork rib to be seen, just big, huge beef ribs about this long that melt in your mouth, and look at all that beautiful sausage up there. Bratwurst are okay, but they're not Texas smoked sausage, right? So maybe, maybe this. Then... My mind tended to wander a little bit. I might have got lost on the internet for about 4 hours looking up <laughs> pictures of fried catfish, man. Oh, you guys have heard me talk about fried catfish before. And don't e- e- be putting bread on it. Cornbread only, okay? And hush puppies, come on. Nice. Not lentil stew. And finally, to top it all off, bluebell ice cream. <laughs> Straight out of Brenham, Texas. Oh man, I don't even care if it has listeria. I don't even care. (laughs) Give me that chocolate chip cookie dough with listeria and everything else in it. I don't even care. I got a strong gut. As you can tell, I like to eat, not just from the pictures, but from my figure, which is not slender by any means. I've always been that husky kid, right? I think the thinnest I ever was, was after basic training. And I was the thinnest I'd ever been, and I think it was about down to 180 pounds, which is pretty skinny mini for me. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe other people have had this experience. I don't know anybody who's gained weight in basic training, but as I finished training, the clothes that they gave me when I started didn't fit anymore. You know, they were falling off of me just from all the weight I lost, and those those were great days. When I was young and beautiful, now I'm just beautiful, so not young anymore. But I like, I definitely like to eat, and don't get me wrong, I don't spend hours and hours fantasizing about what I might like to eat. But, you know, it's the pursuit sometimes of our appetites that can uh, dwarf our appetite for the Lord and the good things of God and uh, it's not just food it can be other things in our lives it can be hobbies it can be alcohol it can it can actually be addiction of course uh, but food is definitely not excluded right when we talk about addictions or you hear hear a preacher talking about addiction who is Just grossly overweight. There's 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 something in you that checks right. I mean, there's something. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something that seems to eat away at them. And we get really we really get in trouble when we start pointing the finger at people uh, who's struggling with something different than we are, right? And some people struggle with things that are visible and easily seen, and then some people struggle with things that are easy to hide and keep in the closet. So um, we don't want. No matter how good barbecue is, no matter how good catfish is, no matter how good Esau thought lentil stew was, none of it was worth trading the blessing of God away for. And I want to tell you that there's nothing in this world, not one thing that is worth trading away your relationship with God. Not even open pit barbecue. So let's go to the text today, and we'll go to Genesis chapter 27. We're starting verse 1 through 10. We're going to continue the story. We know that Jacob has already stolen The birthright. And this tells us the story that Jacob's going to continue to try and steal the blessing uh, from Esau. So Isaac is getting pretty old, and uh, his his health is failing, and he knows he's coming to the end. And that's where we pick up today in verse 27. Follow along with me, verse one. Then Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see. He called to Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare them delicious food for your father, such as he loves And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So we're going to take a little pause right here. Like I said, we're going to get through much of these two chapters, but we're going to take a little break right here. And we're going to talk about Unstoppable God. It's a song that we sing. Actually, as praise and worship, we sing this song quite a bit. A song called Unstoppable God about God's plan being unstoppable, his plan of redemption. Now, when we start thinking about God's plan, we can start taking a nihilist type attitude toward God. An attitude that says, well, God's already got it all figured out. He already knows who's going to be saved and who's not. He knows exactly what I'm going to do even tomorrow. So what's the point of even trying? God has got it all figured out. Now, while God is not surprised by anything, this is an illusion that we think sometimes that God is surprised God was not surprised by the actions of Adam and Eve in the garden. He's not, he was not surprised by, the. you know, this, I think yesterday, right? Joe was the 100-year anniversary of the armistice of World War I. God was not surprised with the atrocities of World War I, right? The atrocities of World War II. He was not surprised by Pol Pot or Ho Chi Minh. He wasn't surprised by Saddam invading Kuwait. He wasn't surprised by any of the horrible things that have been done in the name, in his name, in the name of Allah, any of these things. None of these things taken by surprise. God knows everything, but that doesn't mean that he, number one, approves of everything, which we talked about last week, or that he has set those things in motion. He just sees them. And this comes from a fundamental flaw of how you and I see time as compared to how God sees time. Now, I'm going to draw you a picture up here, and we're going to play picture. No. Um, I'm going to draw a little picture, and of this picture, I'm going to try to illustrate. It's not a perfect illustration, but I'm going to try to illustrate how we see time as compared to how God sees time, okay? So if this is us, this little dot, wait, I better bring it bigger for the guys in the back. All right, that's us. We're pretty good at seeing what's right here in front of us, okay? And we can see pretty far behind us, all right? All right. But this is how we see time. We can see maybe, like, maybe already today, just talking about ribs, okay, and stuff. You guys are thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, right? And it's a huge mistake in a sermon to start talking about food, refer to your watch, or say, I bet you guys are hungry. That's all horrible. I just taught them all, so you're (laughs) welcome, okay? We can maybe figure that out. But Stace and I, I'll tell you, we had a great... A f- some friends of ours and mentor of mine, who he's already gone home to be with the Lord, this week his granddaughter died two hours after getting married in a helicopter crash. Maybe some of you read about in the news. This guy, her grandfather was a great mentor of mine, a missionary friend who got us started in the inner city of San Antonio. And this is his granddaughter, and I didn't know her, right? But I, can just, I was just mourning this week for the family. Here's, a, here's somebody, a couple... Who thought they could see like this, right? But in reality, it ended right here. It ended right here. This is how we see time, right? We like to think we can look into the future. For most, for some of us who are more mature, we understand that this is this is folly. This is folly. We don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring us. Now we can look back and we can learn from the mistakes of the past. But that's how we see time. Okay? Now let's look at how God sees time. Like this. All right? Here is eternity past. Here's eternity future. God sees it all from above, right? From all, at all, he sees it all. When he created the heavens and the earth, he saw all of time. He saw it. And this is what's amazing about God. He saw. The Holocaust. He saw the atrocities that happened in Africa. He saw all of this. He still made us. He still made us. He still loves us. He saw all of the horrible things we do to one another. He still made us. He saw how we would blaspheme his name. He saw how they would spit upon his son and strap him to a cross and nail him to a cross. He saw it all, but still thought it was worth making us. He loved us so much. Nothing surprises God, and though he sees all of time from a different perspective from us, it does not make him a nihilist God. It does not make him a God who's maneuvering the puppet pieces. However, because he has this perspective, he can see how to accomplish his plan and his will through that, because he sees it all. Does this make sense to anybody? Right? So when Jacob deceived his brother, when Rebecca conspired with her son to deceive her husband, that doesn't mean God says that's okay, but he says, you know what? I can work through this. I can, I can still fulfill my promise to Abraham through this, and this is how I can do it. Now, through every tragedy, though it can be very, very hard to see, through everything, no matter how bad it seems, there's always some good that comes out of it. There's always some good that comes out of it. How many of you remember, I know it's Veterans Day, and we're, we're going to use a lot of the American military and conflicts things today. Right, but how many of you remember 9/11 exactly where you were at 9/11? Exactly, right? You remember? Some of you who I don't know if anybody in the room remembers the JFK assassination, but my father-in-law remembers exactly where he was during J- JFK. If you're somewhere in between there, you remember probably where you were when the Challenger exploded. All right? We remember these things. Now, one thing I remember 9/11 like it was yesterday. I remember the towers being hit, one plane, and then another, and then hearing the reports of planes crashing in other places and hitting the Pentagon. But I also remember how our nation came together like I have never witnessed in my entire life after 9-11. It was was pretty special. And I'm not saying God ordained for 5,000 people to die so that we could have a moment as a country. What I'm saying is God saw that that was going to happen, and in that moment, he saw that we were going to gather together as a nation. And I think that's I think that's also awesome, that goodness came, good came out of that. Good came out of a lot of things that we consider very, very evil. And here, we're not even seeing really these things that Jacob and Rebecca are doing are just dishonest. They're just lying, really, and tricking Isaac. God, his plan is not stopped by sin. It's not. God is not less powerful than sin. God is more powerful than sin. He is more powerful than darkness, and he rules over them both. All right? God rules over darkness. He, Satan still answers to God. I want you to know that today. God chooses to use broken people to fulfill the promises. He, he did it. He's doing it through the patriarchs. He's doing it through Jacob. And he does it through us. This is due in large part to a shortage of unbroken people since the fall. Hello? Right? I mean, he has to use broken people, right? He has to use people influenced by sin. But this is only to bring the promise to fruition. And the promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then that chain of brokenness and sinfulness is broken. The first man sinned. The second man, add, uh, Jesus, came sin free. I want to tell you that no matter where your dysfunction, obviously we see a dysfunctional family here and that term gets thrown around a lot. I know way more dysfunctional families than I know functional families. I think I can count functional families on maybe this hand, right? There's always some form of many times there's some form of dysfunction in families. Why are families dysfunctional? Sin. Sin makes families dysfunctional. Now, I don't wanna stand up here and trade scars with you, all right? I have a pretty checkered, not very nice past and upbringing, all right? I had definitely had dysfunction. I know there are people in this room who had a greater degree of dysfunction in their family, and some of you didn't have much. But we're not up here to trade scars. We're up here to say, yes, dysfunction exists. Yes, families are broken. But our past dysfunction does not influence God's current function in your life. Amen? I thank God. As I'm reading through this story, I'm thinking about the lies in my family, the deceit in my family, the brokenness in my family. But I'm also reminded that that is in my past. And it's not... It's not counseling or group therapy, not that those things are bad in themselves, but that was not the moment of my transformation. That's not the moment that I look to when I say that was my past and now I'm in my future with God. It was the moment I got saved. I became a Christian. In that moment, the legacy that my father had left to me was wiped away and a new legacy started being built upon in Jesus Christ. I had a new heavenly father who would never let me down, never fail me, never strike me out of anger or abuse me in any way, but always had my best interests at heart, always is looking for the best thing for me and sacrificing himself for me. Our past dysfunction does not influence God's current function in our lives. It's not an excuse. It's not a reason to not do anything. If anything, to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. Amen. God's plan will not be stopped by the work of darkness or sin. Let's go to Genesis chapter 27, verse 18 and pick up the story again. Please, by all means, read the story in between at home this week as you study and and continue your Bible study with our devotional and in your growth groups. But we're going to go back. We're going to skip up to 18. And so he went to his father and said, my father, this is Jacob. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Here Jacob is blaspheming the name of the Lord. Blaspheming the name of the Lord. It's because God gave me the game. (laughs) Jacob's got a game. Okay, he, he gave him favor, right? Now, we might think, oh, what a horrible thing. Or maybe some of you are thinking, oh, that's not so bad. Let me tell you something. When we use God as an excuse or a way out of our responsibilities, it's, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. I, I have heard before, God told me to get a divorce. Now, I'm not saying divorce can be helped in some cases, but I don't believe God ever says get a divorce, right? I don't believe God ever says that, get a divorce, right? As much as it depends on the believer, it's for us to live at peace with our spouse. Now, there can be separation, there can be abuse. We're not going to get into all the details, right? But this idea, or God told me to take something, or I am not going to do something. You know, somebody asked, invited me to be part of the leadership team or contribute to the church or do this or do that, but I prayed about it, and, the, and God said, I can just watch TV. All right? Like the cookie thing today. Such a small request. right? And she said, go home and pray. about." It. you don't need to pray about that. Just make two dozen cookies. Help her out. She's our sister. She's asking us to make cookies. I think we can sacrifice and make cookies. You know, it's not a problem. It's an imposition, yes. It it, it means that we're going to have to spend some time not doing things we want to do. If you're one of those weirdos who listens to Christmas music already, just turn that on. <laughs> just turn that on and make some Christmas cookies and sing rocking around the Christmas tree or whatever it is you do, all right? That will not be my house, Right? Or I will not be home. Do it on my bike ride, okay? But it's, it's this idea that 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 we can use God as an excuse now I, you may think I'm being harsh right but i've been I've been sitting in this chair I've been standing behind this desk for a long time I've heard people use God to excuse their lack of generosity I've heard g- people use the Lord to explain away their poor parenting skills i've u- heard, I've heard people use God and 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 try to quote scripture defending unbiblical positions on race immigration blah 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 right put it wherever you want right it's no different than what Jacob's doing right here we think well if we say I prayed about it nobody can argue with you you ain't met me yet number one and uh that's just not true right but I think that's exactly what Jacob is saying here, right? He's going to Isaac. He says, well, the Lord did it. And Isaac's not going to question that, right? God told me to do this. God told me to do that. Well, let me tell you something. If it Don't line up with scripture. If you're not under the authority of the church that you're in, <laughs> it doesn't jive, right? God does not make an end round around his leadership, so if I'm the pastor of the church, Jordan and Shea are leaders in the church, your advisory council are leaders in the church, God is not going to end-rend all of us to speak directly to you about something that's weird, right? That's how we keep the weirdness out, right? Churches are, can be havens for weirdness because people say, well, the Lord told me this, and then a bunch of weirdness ends up in it because it doesn't line up with scripture and it doesn't line up with leadership. And that's that's a problem, Right? So you guys know what I'm talking about. I don't want to harp on that too much more, all right, because I don't want to sound angry because I'm not. I'm not angry about it. It just upsets me when, when God's house is infiltrated by deceit and lies and it's hidden behind. You know, what's the Bible say? Wolves and wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Having the appearance of doing good, but really so in evil, so in darkness, it's not good, all right? We've got to be on guard for that. God uses you know it's hard to even think that God would use sin right God uses sin he even redeems sin but I think there's there's not much arguing against it Judas sinned when he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver but it was God's will that he go to the cross right somebody had to betray Jesus God knew he would do it God uses the opportunity and Jesus goes to the cross the greatest sin the greatest sin In history, no atrocity is worse. No greater evil has ever been perpetrated than hanging Jesus Christ on a cross. Nothing in all of history compares to it. Nothing. Nothing. God used the greatest travesty in history to bring the greatest good to humanity. Right? Isn't that true? On the cross, he takes the sins of the world upon his very broad shoulders. He exchanges our sin for his righteousness on the cross. But he dies a sinner's death, separated from God the Father, whom he has never throughout eternity past nor eternity future has been separated from before. But in that moment on the cross, the greatest punishment Jesus could endure wasn't the pain or the agony of the cross or the people spitting on him. The people by which he created out of nothing. Remember that. Don't ever forget that Jesus created the wood that made up the cross. That he made the steel and the metal and the iron that went through his hands and his feet. That he made the hemp of the rope that tied him around the cross. That he created the people and the hammer. All of that. All of that pain, all that suffering at the hands of his creation, nothing compared to being separated from God, perfect fellowship with God. That was the cup that he wished would pass away from him in Gethsemane. Not the pain, not the suffering, not the humiliation, the separation, the absence of the presence of God in his life. No travesty has ever befallen man greater than that. And here, the greatest good that could ever come came out of that. Jesus made the way. Amen. Sinful people sin will not stand in the way of what God is doing. He uses the most unlikely people. And if he's going to use broken people, if he's going to use messed up people, why not you? Why not you? Right? He's this is all he's got is you. That's who he has. You he's going to use you. That brings us to our, our next point in our next text, 28 verse 10 through 15. And we get to the we get to the, we skip a lot of what happens there with Isaac. Go back and check that out. But now we're getting to the point where again, it grieves Rebecca that Jacob would take a wife from the women around the promised land, okay? Now, I, mean, I don't know if I've mentioned this in previous sermons, but Abraham is in the promised land. Do you understand that? Where he, when he leads the people out of Egypt and he's bringing them to the promised land, Abraham is already there, right? He's there right now. And Isaac is there, Jacob. Okay. They're there. Now they get led away and they have to wander around the desert for 40 years, but they're, they're already there. And Rebecca is like, uh, uh-uh. uh you're not taking a wife, from around here. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago about dating, how to find somebody, but one thing that's clear in this Old Testament, these next, these fat, past few chapters, that men and women should not be unequally yoked, right? What does that mean? Teenagers, listen up. We talked about how to find somebody, right? Number one, be rich. Number two, have a ton of camels, right? We talked about this. No, we're looking for people who fear the Lord, right? We're looking for people who fear the lord. This is the number one quality you should be looking for to make yourself unsingleized, right? And make no mistake, every boy, every girl you meet, it's not just a it's not just a thing that you should say, "Okay, I I have a boyfriend, I have a girlfriend, I'm cool, I'm in the, I'm in the club." All right, that's not it. That's not it. Number one, your parents are going to love me for saying this some of them. I don't think you should date until you have a job and you're out of school. And you're ready to get married because dating is interviewing men and women, boys and girls, to make you unsingalized. Period. It's not a fling. It's not like you got to practice making out before you meet the right person. All that that's a lie from the enemy. It's not true. Right? It's not true. You're looking for somebody who fears the Lord. That's the number one quality you should be looking for: somebody who loves, honors, and fears the Lord. And so again, we see it. Rebecca doesn't see any of this around. So she sends her son to go find a wife from among her people, right? From her brother Laban. And it gets really interesting. It gets really weird and interesting when Jacob meets Laban. Okay. If you don't know the story, you are in for a treat, man, because it gets weird. Okay. But what we have right now is Jacob on the journey right? So his mom is sending him away. That's where we pick up here in verse 10. And he's taking a break. It's a long journey, several days. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and he went down to Haran, which we know is where Abram was from. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up And in you, your your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. A couple things about Jacob's dream. The first thing is this language that we see is that when God describes the north and the south and the west, the east, you know, what stood out to me about that? that's how God, like how much we're forgiven, right? If if Stacy stands here and and we're back to back and I start running in this direction as far as I can and Stacy runs 500 feet that way because that's as far as she can run, then, just kidding, sorry. She's not a runner. I'm not either. I'd probably quit before her. But anyway, we run as far as we can see. We can't see each other anymore, right? As far as, or a laser or whatever, That's how far our sins are removed, right? It encompasses, it's just, it's infinite. And this is what God is saying here. The number of your children are like, he says, sand on the sea, stars in the sky, as far as the east is from the west and the north is from the south, infinite. You're not gonna be able to count them. You're not gonna, obviously God knows the number. It's not finite to him, but to us, it is finite to him, but it's infinite to us. We can't count. It'd be pointless to even try. I just I'm just reminded of that how much that language kind of repeats in the Bible. And it's interesting that on Jacob's ladder there are angels descending, right? This is really important. Something we think this is a story, it's cute, we maybe tell it to our kids, we have the little toy the Jacob's ladder, but even that, in the Jacob's ladder toy, the little piece moves down. This is a reminder That God does not expect us to reach up, right? And attain some kind of holiness on our own. He reaches down to rescue his people. He comes down to Jacob. The dream is coming down. The angels are coming down. The kingdom of God is coming down. Now, we're gonna do something a little bit different, too, that we haven't done for the last few weeks. We're gonna go to the New Testament, okay? Go to John chapter 1, verse 51. Now I kind of prepared this part a little late in my sermon prep, so there's no slide. So if you have your Bible, great. If not, I'll have to read it to you. Um, But uh, it's John chapter 1, all right? It's the last of the four Gospels. If you get to Acts, you've gone too far, okay? And here's Jesus calling the first disciples. And he gets to Philip, and he gets to a guy named Nathaniel, a Jew in whom he sees no deceit. But before he gets to Nathanael, Nathanael's chilling out under a fig tree, all right, before Jesus calls him. And Jesus calls um, Peter and he calls Andrew, but then he gets to Philip and he gets to Nathanael and Nathanael comes down and this is interesting because he knows that Jesus is from Nazareth and he, so he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, yeah, right you know, this is the son of God. Can anything good come out of here? And Philip says to him, come and see. And as soon as Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says to him, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel is blown away by this. And he says, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. And Jesus is like, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> it basically is what Jesus says. I'm paraphrasing. You have not seen anything yet. But then you get to verse 51, and Jesus says to Nathaniel, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. Just like we see with Jacob and his vision on the, the ladder to heaven. But this time, Jesus adds, Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob has a dream of a ladder. That ladder is the kingdom of God coming down. In the New Testament, Jesus is saying, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. The kingdom of God comes through me. Jesus is the Son of the living God. The ultimate expression of God reaching down from heaven and touching his people where they're at coming to rescue us from our sins. He is the latter. Man, I thought I had some more amens on that. That is profound, man. That hits me where I live. You know, Jesus came down. He came down to rescue us. It's not in our holiness. It's not in our righteousness. That's what the Muslims believe. All right? That's what a lot of other religions teach, that we must ascend. But Jesus became one of us, the creator of the universe became the created. He is the ladder that reaches down to touch humanity for his redemptive purposes. That's unwavering grace. You and I cannot even get our minds wrapped around this kind of grace. It cannot be rationalized. It cannot be understood, and it cannot be grasped by his creation. This grace that God gives us we like to look at Jacob and we think, oh, what a scammer. What a schemer. But it's us. In this story, we're Jacob or Esau. We're, we're not the hero of this story. Jesus is. We are broken. We are sinners. And we say to ourselves and we say to those around us, God can't use me. God. Some people even stop sh- before there and say, God can't save me. My father was one of these people. I've done too much. I've been too bad. I've committed too many sins against God and against others. There's no forgiveness for me. It's not true. It's not true. He's the ladder by which we're saved. He loves you. And if you're saved today, if you're not saved today, there's nothing you have done that makes you unsavable or unlovable. Nothing, nothing. He saved Paul. Paul murdered Christians, right? He saved him. There's nothing that you could do that could separate you from his love. You need, I think some of us maybe just need reminding of that too this morning. So as I wrap up, I want to remind you that your past dysfunction does not recuse you from God's current function in your life. All right? That God uses sins, even the greatest sin, the crucifixion, to bring good. And we're undeserving, but like Jacob, we have received mercy. And because we've received mercy, we are to look out into the world for ways that we can demonstrate his mercy and his grace to others. Can we demonstrate the exact kind of grace and mercy that God demonstrated to us? No, we can't. But we can be a reflection. We can be a reflection, right? We can be a facsimile of his mercy, of his grace. Is it as good as the original? No, but it can get really, really close. It can get really, really close. For some of you who are struggling with past dysfunction... One of the things that's holding you back is your inability to release the grace of God that's been extended to you in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness that you've received, you welcome wholeheartedly with open arms, but you are very reluctant to extend that to the family member or the people in your life who have hurt you. I want to tell you that you are hurting only yourself, and maybe you've probably heard that before, right? A grudge hurts you more than it hurts the person you're holding the grudge against. But this mercy and this grace, this is the only way I was able to have a restored relationship with my mother and my father. Because I was able to forgive them. I wasn't asking them to be perfect. They didn't have to do any restoration or any kind of, you know, uh, making everything right. Because, because God had forgiven me and washed me clean, I was able to forgive them. And for even though the relationship never was what we think it ought to be, I wasn't under that weight anymore. It wasn't crushing me anymore. And more so, I understood that I was not subject to that same fate, that same destiny, that same, those same flaws and faults. Whatever I mess up today, there's plenty. Number one, making fun of my wife in front of everybody saying she can't run 500 feet. I'll be paying for that later. <laughs> I'll be paying for that later. But I own that. That's me. That's not my upbringing. When I'm rude to you, that's not because my dad beat me. That's because I am i was rude. I was a jerk, right? That's me. I own that. It's not what happened to me in the past because that's gone. That's gone. And I, I don't imagine it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Church, God wants to use you. And if you're waiting to be perfect, you'll never be used. You'll never do anything for the kingdom of God, all right? And you'll be like one of those who escapes barely by the flames. He wants to use you in your workplace, in your social groups, in the church. Yes, of course, in the church as well. But he's not looking for perfect. You know, God, we think God likes perfect. We like perfect. We think God likes full. He likes empty. Hello? He likes empty. Right? He wants to fill you up. Right? He's not looking for people who are already full, who already know everything, who think... I any preacher who comes up says i am the best preacher in the world you are lucky to have me i deserve to stand up here and preach the gospel run away run away right you don't see that anywhere in the bible as a matter of fact anytime you see that you see god destroy those people you see god just tear those people up right because false pride, pride will not stand in his presence, period. He is to be lifted up. He is to be glorified. And it's, it's a right place to th- know that you've received mercy and grace, but it's, it's the wrong place to be if you're using it as an excuse, right, to not do anything, to not be active for the kingdom of God. We have unwavering, unflinching grace. It's pretty awesome. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.